Welcome to Chattanooga Civics. I'm Nathan Bird. It's no secret that transportation is one of the most pressing issues in Chattanooga. Whenever a new development is proposed, the first question most people ask is, what about the traffic? So how does the city plan for growth? It turns out it's a much longer and more in-depth process than I ever realized. I sat down with Melissa Taylor and Caroline Daigle, representatives of the Chattanooga Hamilton County North Georgia Transportation Planning Organization, to find out more about their work on the 2050 Regional Transportation Plan. The process to write the 2050 plan kicked off in December of 2020 and will run through 2024. In our interview, we talk about how the plan is written and how Chattanoogans can make their voices heard throughout the process. Taylor. I'm the Director of Strategic Long Range Planning in the Regional Planning Agency that staffs the Transportation Planning Organization. I'm Caroline Daigle. I'm a Senior Planner with the Regional Planning Agency and Transportation Planning Organization. We could probably start calling it the TPO. What do you think? Yes. <laughs> so going forward, TPO, TPO, Transportation Planning Organization. Let's start there. I know this interview is mainly going to be about the Regional Transportation Plan and we'll get into that, but let's start with just the TPO in general. What is it? What do y'all do? So I'll, I'll take that one. Um, in, in general, the Transportation Planning Organization is the federal pipeline of funds for our area. So it's um, organized and structured by a mandate from uh, the federal government. And um, it has a 28-member board that oversees the activities and the executive director of the regional planning agency, which is staffed to the TPO, um, actually is secretary to the board. So that's how our staff comes into play, and um, we program all the federal money that comes into this region. Great. And so who are the other stakeholders in the TPO in general? I know you know, all are part of the Hamilton County Regional Planning mm-hmm. Organization. Uh, what are, there, are there any other stakeholders in the TPO? Absolutely. How are they I would say that everyone is a stakeholder. Um, <laughs> all of the citizens um, in the region, so that covers all of Hamilton County mm-hmm. and portions of North Georgia. Okay. So we have a portion of Dade County, a portion of Walker County, and then all of Catoosa County. So all of the citizens um, within that boundary. Uh, organizations that we partner with, a variety. Um, I think we have probably about 50 members on our community advisory committee meeting for the Long Range Transportation Plan, which would be the organizations that we would work with most. Uh, a lot of businesses and, as I mentioned, just an average individual citizen. And just to provide a little bit more context, the TPO isn't unique to Chattanooga. Every urbanized area in the country above a certain size has mm-hmm. a metropolitan planning organization. So if you, the acronym MPO, it might be familiar to people that have lived in other cities. We call it the TPO here, but um, every every city and urban area above a certain size gives these boundaries. 250,000 people okay. constitutes the threshold for um, for the Metropolitan Planning Organization. So. And then is the TPO an authoritative body or an advisory body or kind of a mix uh, as far as... It's a legal entity, so when it takes action, it is final. The board takes okay. uh, that final action on all of the products. Great. And so we're here today to talk mostly about the 2050 Regional Transportation Plan, which is something you all had kind of kicked off the process for. Uh, just tell us very generally about what is that plan, and, and we'll get into some questions about that. So overall, the Regional Transportation Plan sets the blueprint of intended projects and funding for 20-plus years. And that 20-plus years could be um, 23 years, it could be 25 years, it just depends on the cycle, because it has to be 20-year horizon. And we like to use that terminology because it's we're, we're looking out into the future, so the horizon of the plan is 20 years, right. at least 20 years, uh, to meet the federal regulations. Um, so there are a lot of things that go into a regional transportation plan, a lot of federally mandated requirements. 
Um, when we mentioned the 250,000 people threshold, that's for transportation management area for an MPO mm-hmm. or our TPO. Um, and so in the planning process, we have to do public involvement and get people's input on what they'd like to see. It also covers a lot of um, other federally mandated things like performance measures. So what are we measuring about the system and um, what types of projects should meet the needs of the system and that kind of thing in general. Um, trying to think a little bit more about overview of what somebody would want to know coming into it, never hearing about a transportation plan before. I would say that we hear a lot about congestion, and right. so part of that process is also the congestion management plan. Mm-hmm. And we have staff in the agency that focuses specifically on that work as well. Right. And the RTP kind of takes projected funding, you know, from now with this 20 to 25 year horizon mm-hmm. and programs it for projects. So there's a project list and we'll talk about that a little bit more, but that's a big part of the RTP right. is looking at that project list and projects are kind of put into different tiers that closer years in and further years out. And, and there's, you know, money kind of tied to the plan in that sense as well, because it's a fiscally constrained list. So like the checkbook has got right. to balance out in the plan. So that's, that leads me to two questions. Uh, what is that fiscal constraint? Who mm-hmm. determines what that is? And, and I guess the overall budget for the plan, but then also that project list, uh, you know, can you explain how many of those projects actually get implemented and how that is decided? So let's, let's start with the first okay. one. Where does that budgetary constraint come from? So we build the revenue stream for the plan. Okay. Um, we have a a methodology that's approved by Federal Highway that sets the stage for how do we create the revenue of the plan. And a lot of it is historic expenditures, but then also just expected allocations from the federal transportation legislation. So when we build that revenue stream, we build it out 20 plus years. And then we begin to program projects from funding sources. So the federal government has a variety of funding categories. Right. And only certain projects are eligible in certain categories. And so when we start to look at that, then it, it really matters kind of what kind of projects you're getting in, in the call for projects uh-huh. from the TPO membership, which every jurisdiction in that boundary that I mentioned earlier submits projects mm-hmm. or has the ability to submit projects, along with um, some other organizations and then like transit agency also submits projects because Federal Highway and FTA are the two funding pipelines for transportation. So once those projects come in, then they have to have a method by which, as Caroline mentioned, um, which ones get selected. Right. So we have a project evaluation process. For so that. That, that fiscal constraint that the TPO comes mm-hmm. up with is... Federal and state and local funds all kind of bundled together and saying, it is. here's what our budget is. It is, because a lot of those programs require a match right. that are funding projects. So sometimes it's 20%, 10%. Um, sometimes the state has to contribute, and all that gets fiscally right. constrained. Okay. And we try to do it in three, what we call three tiers, so that we're not um, costing out projects that just get unwieldy to build because they become too expensive because of inflation. Right. And so you want to set up, hey, if we set up this first tier, say the tier is five years in the beginning, three to five years, and then your five-year, five-year, or 10-year, 10-year type of tiers, then you can fiscally constrain a set of projects. Right. Much easier if you've got a smaller set within a certain timeline. Right. So the plan is, is for these projects, it's the 2050 Regional Transportation yes. Plan. Does that mean that these projects won't come on board until 2050? Or is the idea that these projects are in place and actually getting themselves worked into the system between now and 2050 and kind of analyzing, that's your analysis period rather than your building period? So that's a good question <laughs> because um, actually... You could think of the plan itself as mostly all um, virtual reality, I guess, or, you know, this this um, un, 
it's it's kind of unclear in terms of what will actually make it into the the building right. um, phase because that changes and we do a plan every five years so that can change you have about you can have anywhere from 150 to 200 projects in the plan fiscally constrained right. uh, but moving them into uh, implementation is up in the air uh, the, the ones that are not so much up in the air are probably the ones that make it in the first tier so when we talk about the 2050 plan that's going to be the 2030 um, time frame. So you've got 2030, right. 2040, 2050. Right. And so that 2030 is the one that you would expect to see projects from that list moving into what we call the Transportation Improvement Program, which was um, sort of the next discussion point of right. your question right. to so how did I'm they get to the bill. I'm glad you, you, <laughs> you spelled out the whole phrase, but the TIP, uh, the implementation plan that talks about what projects actually get chosen from the regional transportation plan to the implementation plan, what are the ones that actually gets built, what does that process look like in terms of choosing which programs make the cut? So when in the RTP, when we do the project evaluation, we're ranking them, which is what ends up funding them in the tiers. Mm -hmm. So that's sort of in, ends up being sort of the the ranked list um, or what you consider those pots of ranked projects and what we would expect to move more quickly than others. And then from that, they move into the transportation improvement program through another call for projects. So basically the, all the jurisdictions and the TPO that submit a set of projects for the RTP, they might submit, let's say, 50 projects for consideration and 25 of them, you know, get end up in that fiscally constrained right. list. And then from that list, from what's in the RTP, they choose what to submit into the TIP and what to pull into that short-term implementation plan. And usually, like Melissa said, it's those ones that are in the earlier tiers. But, you know, there is flexibility for jurisdictions. As long as the funding balances out and a plan is in the RTP, they can, they can change their priorities because we know that priorities right. change over time and, and realities change. And, you know, a project that was in the 2045 plan, RTP, especially the ones in later uh, tiers, might not make it into the, might not roll over into the 2050 plan if, if the jurisdiction sponsoring it no longer, you know, wants to pursue that project. And so there's a right. lot of the onus on the jurisdictions, you know, to, to set their priorities and, and pull what, what comes from the RTP into the TIP. So the TIP doesn't exist without the RTP and everything in the TIP has to be in the RTP first. Okay. But then in the TIP, um, that's where you have the shorter term implementation, kind of what's getting action taken on it today. And that action right. might not mean, you know, orange construction cones on the ground. It could just be, we're doing a design study or a NEPA phase, but there's still gotta be funding pulled from the plan to apply to, to okay. those phases of the project. So one metaphor that we use that I think explains it pretty well is, you know, if you've got, for example, like a reading list for a course that you're taking for a whole year, right, like a course at college or something, and day one you get the whole reading list for the entire course. You don't go to the library that day and check out every single book right. on that list and start reading every single book. You'd get a subset for the first couple of weeks, work your way through, go back and return for more. And so the RTP is kind of like that full list. And then the tip is, what are we working our way through now to right. make our, you know, make progress towards that overall set of goals that we have? Okay. So that leads me to another question is, if a project doesn't make it into the RTP, does, does that jurisdiction then have to wait until the next I guess it's a five-year cycle, roughly, so they have to wait five years to get it into the next plan, or, or how does that work? If something comes up, you know, say an Amazon warehouse gets built. Or VW, because yeah, it's exactly. a good example. <laughs> yeah, of, something um, happens, a company just comes <laughs> and drops a right. big plant in, and now what do you do? Right, so um, there is an amendment process, okay. and it's detailed. Most of the processes that we would have uh, a need to to do within the processes are usually federally mandated and we have to set up a process for that. So in our RTP, there's actually a section in the plan that talks about the amendment process. So okay. um, 
we because it's um, staff time resource intensive, we've developed that our process is what we call a biennial amendment. So every two, I guess the two years after the plan's adopted, then we do a call for projects okay. or changes and you know, any of the, the water, make sure no any of the jurisdictions changes. that have changes or there's something coming online that we're, we may not be aware of, or even if we are, you know, we'll have conversations with them about this is what we've got coming up. We're going to add it. Does anyone else have any other changes that they want to add? Um, it's, there's just a lot that goes into the bigger projects. There's a lot of modeling, travel demand modeling that has to be done. And those time frames are just long in terms of right. getting it all organized and getting the projects and doing the analysis and then getting them amended into the plan. So it's hard to do it on any more frequent basis than that, though we have. Right. And we'll do it as quickly as we can, but sometimes it can take anywhere from six months to a year to do an amendment for a pro for one project. Right. And so we typically do want to do more of them all at once to right. make sure that we're being efficient with our time and resources. And in addition to that, there is flexibility kind of built into the process from the beginning. Um, and so for projects that kind of alter the way the transportation system operates, you know, like adding a new road, widening a road, that's that requires these, you know, biennial amendments that requires more intensive modeling but Melissa's done a really good job in her history leading this process to build flexibility into it with things called set-asides and, and groupings for certain types of projects so it's kind of a bucket of funds that um, for example there's a, a, a maintenance set-aside or bike ped set-aside and this is a bucket of funds that jurisdictions can uh, the, the not every project will be you know a discrete line item you know, putting sidewalks on, on Shallowford Road from X point to X point. It's not, you know, sometimes a, a project on a line item is just repaving various streets in the city of Chattanooga, and that's from that's a maintenance a set aside. It's a bucket. And then the jurisdiction can pull funding that relates to repaving various streets, and they prioritize and decide what streets do we need to do sooner rather than later, right. and that doesn't require... And that's an easier move into the tip. Exactly. Because mm -hmm. there's not any amendment that would have to happen, and it just it just builds it naturally into um, expediting mm -hmm. the expenditure of those funds. So, um, And that can be done with a variety of projects that don't require the modeling or the more intensive... Um, requirements that right. the bigger roadway projects right. might require. You're not doing heavy engineering or that's right. traffic impact studies or anything. Exactly. Or building a sidewalk or, or That's right. Got it. And those have been typically, I, and actually there weren't, some of the smaller jurisdictions for, for several years weren't feeling that like they could tap into these federal funds because they saw it as a pretty extensive process. They right. didn't have, they might not have a need for a, a big roadway project. And they were thinking about a signalization project. And so when we created the set asides and set it up to be a more kind of direct process for them to just ask for money in the tip when they needed to do resurfacing or the signal system, like a, a signalization project, like I mentioned. Mm -hmm then it, that opened the door for them, and we began to see more projects from the smaller jurisdictions right. asking for funds and being able to do, you know, a few projects in a three- or four-year period mm -hmm. um, that were useful and, and needed in, in their areas. And so I know uh, just kind of looking through the RTP documents and, and things that are starting to become publicly available that there's a lot of different inputs that go into this in terms of, we've talked a lot about different jurisdictions bringing a project. Um, how much of that process is driven by, you know, city officials and, uh, you know, regional planning departments or CDOT or organizations like that? And then how much is driven by uh, citizens? Just, you know, how can just regular people give their input to the RTP and how is that weighted in the process, I suppose? How strongly are individual requests kind of considered? 
So um, first off, in terms of the um, officials on our TBO executive board and the technical coordinating committee, there's representatives from all the jurisdictions. So from each, you know, from the city of Chattanooga, from the city of Red Bank, city of Eastridge, Hamilton County, Catoosa County, everybody's got a seat on that board and a vote, you know, for adopting the plan, adopting the project list and the plan. And we work really closely with our TPO membership throughout the development of the RTP. Melissa facilitates the call for projects with the designated TPO members, and and kind of, and she'll even take time to have you know one-on-one -on -one conversations with. Let's look at what's in the plan already for your jurisdiction. What you might want to roll over. What might be moving out. And 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 has those conversations you know at the front end of the plan. However, there's also a lot of public input that directly informs the RTP and that's especially, um, and I, I think we're gonna get to some talk about how we kind of weight the projects and the mm -hmm. scales that we use and public input is um, especially related to that aspect of the plan. So we actually have a survey live right now where we're asking people to you know, rank priorities um, for transportation investments across, um, see there's seven or eight different categories and it's kind of hard choices and so that's why we, right. we ask people to rank it because it can't we can't just say everything's equally important because right. you know then we won't be able to prioritize spending and, and that's what we really need to do um there's unlimited needs if if we wanted to you know address every single need but there's mm -hmm. limited funding so it's got to be prioritized so we ask people to rank their priorities we ask people to indicate you know for projects of different types like a project in your neighborhood versus a project that brings you you know to Cleveland or Dalton or neighboring regions like these are it's the transportation systems kind of operating in a different way at those different scales and right. so even within each scale which Melissa will talk about here in a minute we ask people to rank what their priorities would be for investments at those different levels and then also just influencing you know the goals and the vision of the plan and everything nests under that um so there's a lot of, of there's a direct pipeline between what we hear from people how we you know weight those priorities when we evaluate projects and the projects that end up getting ranked the highest in the process and get presented to the board ultimately the staff presents a project list and the rtp to the executive board and they vote on it so they could vote on the staff recommendation, they could rank their own. I think you there's a process where the membership can do their own ranking, right, Melissa? There is, and we like to leave the decision with the decision-making board. Mm -hmm. So we try very hard to provide a, um, a set of ranked projects that we're saying, hey, we have enough money to fiscally constrain this set of rank one projects, rank two projects, rank three, and they're kind of in these groupings of just this many projects in each of those ranked uh, levels. And then when it goes to the board, they have the opportunity to be, oh, but there's a really important project for us that, you know, one jurisdiction might say it's really important to us. I noticed that it made it in the, the third list. Right. Um, we, you know, we'd like to move that up um, where we feel like it's going to be of benefit to us. And they have the right to do that. Mm -hmm. It's um, part of the process and we've accommodated that and, right. and we've had that situation happen. But I would say that more often than not, the data driven, the um, analysis driven approach to how we select those projects in the first place and they get ranked they see as beneficial and they're always interested by it. And the unique method that we have actually allows small projects to um, compete and, and win out over much larger projects. And it's right. just about the purpose behind the project and which one is the best performing project. And so we get a really good mix of projects right. um, when we finalize the list. And that's pretty unique for us. It's actually been a process that's been recognized as a transportation planning excellence award from the federal government for um, MPOs. And mm -hmm. so there are a lot of other places that are kind of tailoring or trying to use our, our framework that we've established for that right. um, in their own way. Um, ours is really tailored to here because as Caroline mentioned, there was a lot of public process that went into 
why did we choose that method or, mm-hmm. or what, how did we get where we are with that framework? So um, I would hope that it's unique elsewhere right. to you. But. So how are those board members chosen? I know you said each jurisdiction kind of sends a board member. Is it a single board member for each jurisdiction or is it weighted by population size? And then does each jurisdiction kind of have its own control over who they send? So they each have a seat as the mayor or okay. the elected commissioner of a county, let's say. Right. Right. Okay. So as that elected official, that's the seat on the board. Okay. Okay. And then the recommending body, which I failed to mention earlier, um, is the technical coordinating committee. And they have, um, they can have themselves as the designee on that, or they can designate um, someone from public works, let's say, right. to to serve on the technical committee. They can also designate someone to serve on the board as well. Right, so it's, it's the mayor. It's but it the is the kind of legal seat yes. that they can name. The elected representation. A designated mm-hmm. representative to go forward. And so we probably have about half and half, which is saying a designated seat, um, designated representatives versus the actual elected officials that sit on the board. There's the smaller some jurisdictions mm-hmm. tend to send... Um, their mayors right. or, or their county uh, official, mm-hmm. um, county commissioner, and the bigger or, um, you yeah, tend to send a designee. Right. That makes sense. Um, I'm not, sh- I, I don't know if it would be about half and half. Yeah, it's a mix. It might seem that between the TCC and the board, though. Yeah, like, if we think yeah. about them both, that's the membership, maybe right. thinking about it that way. Right. Uh, between both of the board and the TCC, um, that might be more, uh, more in line. And then we started, we've kind of come full circle here, uh, back to just kind of public participation. Mm-hmm. You mentioned the survey that's online. I took it a few days ago while I was preparing for the interview and, and I thought it was really well laid out. Um, and so I, I kind of want to talk about that survey, but then I also want to talk about, you have a couple uh, interactive maps that are on the Regional Tran- Transportation Plan website that I thought were really interesting. So the survey itself is just kind of more open-ended, rank where you want your spending, rank what kind of projects you want to see, input, it's, it's fairly self-explanatory. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I, I definitely invite the listeners to go check that out, and that'll be in the show notes. But then I, I want to talk about these kind of more interactive maps. Um, there's one that allowed you to kind of put places of interest onto a map and say, like, this is where I'm trying to get to. And then you can kind of aggregate that and see, like, where are the destination spots. And then you also have one for cyclists. Mm-hmm. And I think there's one more that I might have missed. Yes. Um, so there's, I think there might be four as of okay. a couple okay. days Great. ago, um, but there's the map for um, identifying community resources, mm-hmm. which is um, identifying these destinations. When about level of traffic stress that we've kind of framed around um, people who are biking, but um, also applies to, to people walking the way that we're using that mm-hmm. analysis. And um, what about equity emphasis areas and what we're doing with equity in the plan? Mm-hmm. And then one um, about kind of understanding the transportation improvement program and the relationship between the TIP and the RTP. So all of those, um, we're, there's story maps. We're using um, a, a really new approach that we haven't done in the past um, this, with this plan that we're really excited about to have a designated project website and get a little bit more into the weeds um, mm-hmm. in a more user-friendly way to right. almost like de-wonkify a little bit right. of this stuff and just make it easier for people to to see, you know, the on-the-ground reality of how does this relate to me? How does providing my input in this process, you know, um, influence or, or potentially influence the type of projects that get built in my neighborhood? So I can talk about those input opportunities briefly, each one. Um, for community resources, we are identifying places in the TPO area that are, you know, essential community resources. So thinking parks, grocery stores, schools, um, social service centers are things that we've added as well, um, public libraries. There's, I think, nine categories, so I'm forgetting a few off the top of my head, but these sort of destinations that are the places where, you know, outside of your commute, the trips that you're taking on a, on a you know, normal basis are, are going to mainly be to these types of places, and we're wanting to identify where are all these resources so that when we get a set of projects to evaluate, we can look at the ones that are 
really promoting safe access to those resources and safe multimodal access. So providing opportunities for people to get from their neighborhood to a park or from their neighborhood to a grocery store, maybe by walking or by biking or by transit to take, you know, some of those trips off the road if there's a, you know, a close connection that can be made. And so identifying those resources and, and bringing that to the public to make sure, hey, did we miss anything? Is there anything... You know, I, I, I pulled, I actually put that, um, put all those story maps together and I'm pulling from a couple different data sources right. to get these points and, you know, nothing is necessarily exhaustive. And so getting um, input from people to make sure that we didn't miss anything is really important for that process. Um, for the equity emphasis areas, we are similarly trying to identify, you know, what are the... Um, areas in the TPO that we need to have a particular focus on from an equity lens and from an equity perspective in the plan. So there's, um, you know, a, a federal requirement to address environmental justice in transportation planning, as in all federal programs that receive funding, um, and then to also look at, you know, transportation disadvantaged communities. So just communities that have a difficult time or, or more of a challenge using the transportation system. So people with disabilities, older adults, um, but there's a lot, um, there's a lot kind of left open to the MPO's discretion about how you address that in the plan. Right. And historically, the approach was, um, I think, a little bit more just looking after the fact. We would see what mm -hmm. projects do we have and where do they fall, you know, in our TPO area relative to these communities. And so we use census data to map, you know, where, where the communities of concern are from this kind of transportation disadvantage holistic perspective. And then we would just see, you know, how much funding went to those areas and, and what kind of projects. This time we're, we're putting it on the front end and we're trying to really integrate equity into the plan in a much more robust way than we've done in the past and, and acknowledging that it's an evolving process and we're learning and we'll probably do something better next time as well and, and it's changing with every plan. But um, we have identified the equity emphasis areas. Um, so I, again, it's like eight or nine different um, components or indicators that go into that that are on the story map on our website and we've layered this across the TPO region to say where are these concentrations of vulnerable populations and um, have also opened that up to public input so we know that the census data might not capture everything it might not capture you know a, a block or, or a small neighborhood you know it, we're using the block group level of census data um, yeah. which is a, a pretty small geography but it might not capture you know a street that might have a lot of older adults living on it or something. And so we wanted to make sure, again, hey, did we miss anything? Is there Are there any communities that we need to include in this um, for later in the process where we go and say, you know, what um, projects are improving infrastructure conditions and equity emphasis areas? What projects are improving multimodal access, access to transit? safety and equity emphasis areas. So we look at that in the project evaluation process and are giving points to projects that are actively addressing those things. So that in that way, it's a lot more integrated right. than it was in the past. And then just briefly, the um, level of traffic stress for walking and biking story map also explains um, level of traffic stress is a bit of a wonky term, but it's kind of, it's the idea of how stressful is it to walk or bike in, right. in certain areas. and identifying those areas and there's an opportunity on that story map for people to you know draw a line on a map and or put a point on a map and say hey this intersection is impossible to cross with a bike or walking here makes me fear for my life or whatever it might be um, and again using that feedback to identify projects that are helping reduce um, level of traffic stress for people who are walking and biking and specifically looking at reducing um, the gaps in the network because um, many times, you know, you might have a, a quiet residential street that's really easy to bike on, and then on the other side of an intersection, another quiet residential street that's really easy to bike on, but that intersection can just feel daunting and impossible yeah. to cross. And so that, you know, one pinch point might be what's preventing somebody from taking a bike ride for a trip that otherwise would be really interested in doing that. We know that from a lot of national surveys that most people fall in this sort of interested but concerned class right. of people yeah. who would buy. It's that kind of barrier to entry. Exactly. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I'm new to this and I don't want to get run over, but I would like to ride my bike. Yeah. I'd like to have the opportunity to do this safely, but I feel concerned and probably right, rightly so in a lot of places because it can be daunting. And so identifying those 
um, you know, the gaps in that low stress network and then kind of channeling priorities and encouraging through the, the RTP process for our jurisdictions to look at those areas, it kind of helps, you know, do do the most with limited funding again mm-hmm. to, to make an improvement in that situation. Um, and then the, the understanding the transportation improvement uh, program story map, I spoke to a little bit earlier, but it just kind of gets into that, like, what's the RTP and what's the tip especially? And then how right. does that relate to the RTP and how do these two you know, acronym things go together right. to get stuff So that one's more mm-hmm. of a, an explanatory map for mm-hmm. the person looking at it, whereas the other three are more interactive in terms of this is what I exactly. am feeling mm-hmm. is important is this location on, you know, the community resources map or this route on the level of stress map or this community in the equity map. Exactly. Yep. And all of those are open through the end of August for people okay. to provide input on. Great. Mm-hmm. I'll put links to all of those in the show notes. Uh, I want to keep moving um, and, and start talking a little bit more about how, you know, dive into the details more of how these projects for the RTP are selected. Uh, I want to start kind of high level. The RTP projects are split into three categories. So there's projects improving transportation within the community, between the community and the region, and from region to region. And this was all kind of on the website. Um, so can you talk about these categories more specifically, especially how they're defined? You know, you say community to community or region to region, uh, what is the size of that community or that region? Are we talking the whole TPO region as that definition, or are we talking kind of smaller, you know, Chattanooga to Cleveland? So when we talk about the smallest scale, it's any smaller neighborhood in any of the TPO boundary. Hmm. So that particular scale is talking about more where you live, and that immediate vicinity or kind of immediate neighborhood where the community to region is kind of between those areas, but still anywhere in the TPO boundary, Mm -hmm. right? The region to region is about our entire region interacting as a region with other outside places. So when you think about projects and what they do from the standpoint of, um, let's just say commuting traffic or goods movement, Mm -hmm. then those three scales we're talking about for the region to region coming into our region or going out of our region. And for the smallest, we're talking about moving within that neighborhood. Right. Right. So whether it's goods movement in that neighborhood or whether it's people movement. Um, So that's the way the scale is thought about from a functional standpoint. Mm -hmm. Um, for the project evaluation process itself, we're tagging projects for their purpose. So when they get submitted, the first thing that we do is identify the predominant per- purpose right. for that project, right? What is the project intended to do? It may do a lot of things, but there's a primary purpose. Right. And so we identify that and then we determine is it which of the three scales does it seem to make the most sense of the long to based on that those general definitions of the function for what's happening at that scale? Um, it's interesting, the iterations, though, of this, because this will be, for the 2050 plan, this will be the third iteration of this framework and the use of these scales or this scaled approach um, to ranking projects. And we're still kind of honing in on what that definition is for each right. scale because right. you um, you can see where a project might fall in the community to region, but also be pr- probably a region to region because it's part of a network going out right. of the of the region to another region. So um, sometimes that's a little objective mm-hmm. um, or subjective. Um, in in the way that we end up tagging them, but we're we're getting better at it and, and trying to maintain some level of consistency with looking at that approach. The way the scoring is set up for those tagged projects um, is by these goals or well we have national goals that are federal requirements and we thought if we can utilize the national goals that align with like project type and purpose, 
and what is the project intended to do, then we can kind of set up weighted measures within the scales for each of those mm-hmm. goal areas or the type of pro- you know type of purpose project right. um, that it is. So, for instance, um, system maintenance, so maintenance projects versus um, a congestion reduction mm-hmm. type project or um, a economic growth kind of project um, to move goods more efficiently, Um, safety, security, environment. So we have, I think there's eight, seven or eight of them. Um, A lot of this I don't keep up here. I have to go look. So I'm looking at some, so if I pause, this is I'm I'm trying to look or think about. I want to get into those specific criteria that each project is is weighted on. Mm -hmm. But before we do that, I want to clarify something about those three categories of community, community to region, region to region. When you come up with the full list of RTP projects, is there any specific weighting you're targeting in terms of how many are in the community to region, how many are in the region to region, et cetera? Or is this more of ways to analyze, it's just a different way to analyze each project and it doesn't matter how many are in each bucket? It doesn't matter how many are in each. So it just changes the way that you analyze each project. And so it doesn't matter if a jurisdiction comes to you with projects that are all region to region. No, it doesn't matter. You'll look at those and you'll look at them and you'll weight them differently internally. And we'll talk about those weightings, but Mm -hmm. it doesn't matter that one jurisdiction has all region to region and all one has all community. Okay. No, it doesn't matter. We have looked at... we've. We wanted to evaluate, was the framework helpful? So right. the first time we rolled it out, we wanted to evaluate, and we wrote a, a white paper on it published by the Transportation Research Board, which is a, a group of the National Academies of Science, I think. Um, but in doing that and we, looking back, that's where I say it, it's produced a mixture of projects because... We did see a, a, a number of projects um, meeting all three scales, mm-hmm. and the, I don't know that we looked at whether a juris, whether jurisdictions were actually submitting multiple scale, you know, right. projects within each of the scales or not. But we did see a variety of projects coming under each of the scales, so it's not like one scale doesn't have very many projects. Right. Does that make sense? Yeah. So So we did look back to see that and evaluate whether or not we were getting projects in all the all three scales. So and we and you started to talk about these categories and I want to just list them all off from, from what I saw on the website. The RTP projects are weighted on system maintenance, congestion reduction, safety and security, economic growth slash freight movement, environmental sustainability, and system reliability. And so you're saying that the way that these three scales are split up is all of these six goals yes. that I just listed are yes. weighted differently depending on the scale of the yes. project. Exactly. Um, are, are there any measurements available for how previous projects have succeeded and failed and how does that get worked into the process? There's not really. Um, I We have looked at, we've looked at different instances of where an issue came up and we might have looked at um, a a particular instance or project situation but there's not a method I know we don't have a current developed process method for that Um, I I think one project that I saw where there was an early um, pre kind of what's happening at this location and how can we fix it discussion and then an actual project that was implemented and looking again and evaluating that was the roundabouts out at 153 and um, the Chickamauga Dam. Mm -hmm. Um, Those roundabouts before they went in, they, there was a lot of conversation about this is a terrible intersection. It's difficult. It's um, congested and once the roundabouts were put in, it was just, and that was, those were probably the biggest at the time and some of the first um, that were put in. And it was shocking the 
free flow traffic situation right. following the the implementation of the roundabout. So right, yeah. I guess the reason I ask is you know if, if there was a project say in the twenty forty five T RTP or maybe the twenty forty RTP where they added a lane to and, and the stated purpose was to reduce congestion from region to region and then you go back five years later and say hey did this added to plan actually reduce congestion or not should we do these kinds of projects in the future the closest we get is something directed completely at that example which is the congestion management process so in that mandated process there is a, a requirement and an expectation to be evaluating those things um, periodically and as you um, update the congestion management process each time you're sort of going into a regional transportation plan cycle. Um, you can have a standalone process or it can be integrated into the regional transportation plan. Right now we have a standalone process and we are working currently on what that um, evaluation process looks like. So. Um, a different team in, in the regional planning agency is working on that, and they have a 2018 uh, congestion evaluation report out right now that's on the website. So that would be an instance where they're evaluating what has been the change in congestion in places and the next kind of, I guess, legit um, logical step would be to start looking then at the strategies that were the projects and which ones are working, not working? Were there ones that did a better job, even if they worked? Are there ones that did a better job in certain locations or in certain instances? So your example is good, and I think we're kind of moving in that direction right. um, to try to get more, more to the point of which projects are... Mm -hmm are actually resulting in better outcomes right, exactly. because most of what the plan is is about what we think would happen right. right so what about the look back what about that look back in comparison of did the projects that got selected and implemented do what we thought they would do mm -hmm. and I think it's just a lot of research probably the reason we haven't is if you look at the resources and the staff that we have to do the big job that we're doing it's pretty small in comparison right. to a lot of other places. I mean, the MPOs are the MPOs all across the country. The amount of staff that's to them, though, is quite variable. Yeah. And there are a lot that do the same things that we do, but have double, triple our staff or maybe more. <laughs> um, and so maybe it's a little bit of the resource thing and the why that we haven't gotten there yet because it's almost like there's duplicate team doing that and running that all the same time that you're trying yeah. to continue to do this work. And I think it speaks to a broader point as well that our transportation system doesn't operate in a vacuum. And so the transportation plan can influence the transportation projects and Absolutely. strategies and things kind of related specifically to the transportation network. And a project can be designed for, you know, a certain purpose with a certain goal in mind. And, and if, everything else that impacts the transportation system like development patterns and you know different approaches to to land development especially if those things change over time then you know a project may have been designed for a goal and it may have been meeting that goal that it was designed for but now it's being expected to do a different thing right like a, a bridge is a good example a bridge may have been designed to carry you know x amount of, of vehicular traffic per day but if other things that impact the transportation system are doubling or tripling that that amount of traffic then it has to either be retrofitted to, to try to get shoehorned into this thing that it wasn't designed right. for originally um, or, or, or you it'll rebuild fail, it or you rebuild it and so it, I think that's it's really important and I think um, probably one of the, the biggest things I would hope that um, people that don't think about transportation planning a lot would walk away from this conversation understanding is that it's it's not one system you know like right. transportation and the way that our community physically develops and, and other ways about where destinations are like the community resources that we look at it's one system right. and so it has to kind of um, it, it relies on, on integration to really function to the best capacity possible. Um, and so we do try to, to do that. Um, and, and, you know, we're in a unique situation here being a TPO staff within 
a regional planning agency. And so we have that dialogue and not a lot of places do, you know. Um, And so we, for example, with, with monthly rezoning requests, we provide comments on, you know, those applications from right. the long range plan perspective. Are there any um, projects in the long range plan planned for this area? Is the site served by uh, public transit? Um, we look at other um, studies and reports that we've done about street connectivity and that sort of thing and provide comments um, you know, from that TPO perspective right. in an effort to you know, connect the dots to the, to the you know, highest degree possible for the region. That's, that's fantastic because that's something I feel like um, people understand in their gut the relationship between land use and, and transportation. Uh, I was at the county commission meeting this week and they were doing some changes to the subdivision regulations that would allow for some smaller lots and they were rezoning a few areas to allow a new subdivision on, I think it was Olava Pringle Road. There was a lot of pushback because of transportation issues. That was the number one thing that was brought up in the commission meeting was transportation. And so I feel like when you see land uses changing, people immediately think about transportation, but they're not necessarily always thinking about how linked they are and how the transportation can also impact the, the land use that's, that's getting put in. So I'm, I'm really glad to hear that that's working well with the TPO being part of the regional planning agency. Um, I am wondering, you, you guys will hopefully enjoy answering this question, but uh, you know, who, who would citizens talk to to get you more staff and get you more resources, knowing that transportation, again, this is something I hear all the time when people make complaints about Chattanooga, the biggest complaint is almost always our roads are too congested and we can't handle any more subdivisions. So if we wanted to get the resources to actually have a good plan for that, who would, who would people talk to? Well, I think we always encourage people to talk to their elected representation at whatever level, right? So um, obviously we touch all levels. Um, We touch the locals um, in all of the jurisdictions we mentioned. There are 19 of them that are on the map. If you go to the website for our TPO area, Um, there are 19 jurisdictions there. Um, We work with the state. And we also work with um, our federal partners. And oftentimes I think the community doesn't think about their fe- the federal partners either. Like we're, we're all in it together and um, all of the decisions that get made at all those levels and including our, our separate boards. So the TPO board, our planning commission, you know, um, state legislature, that all those decisions in the capacities that um, touch the physical built environment, whether it's transportation or land use, have a direct relationship to the outcomes that we see. Right. It, it's an, it is an easy like thing to understand that they're linked together, but it becomes um, complicated and nuanced when you think about how do you deliver the most efficient system from a transportation standpoint, from a land use standpoint, because there are so many partners and, you know, so many moving pieces that are happening and happening at different times. So I do think that elected representation is, is always a good place to start. We encourage people to spend time with their elected officials and thinking about transportation. It's one to, just have those conversations about what you're experiencing and um, whether it's in your neighborhood or whether it is kind of on, on that larger um, platform of moving within this community, mm-hmm. moving from the community to region or, or moving outside of our region and coming back in. What do you see when you go somewhere else, <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. and you come back in, do, do you see differences and what are they? And I think they, can then have a direct relationship to staffing or funding for the work that we do and or more work that we would need to do. Um, And that's where the education component comes in as well. You know, I think it's, I feel like sometimes running a public engagement process related to this work, it's a big ask to get people to think 25 years in the future and kind of get on board with the long range nature of what something like an RTP is trying to do, you know, 
it's a lot easier, like you were saying, for, for folks to kind of see like this this road is has become a problem for me today. Like what's gonna be done today? And we're talking about, you know, especially the larger roadway projects and the RTP can take five, ten years, you know, before before something happens. You've got a totally different set of people living in the community or, you know, totally different land use patterns that might be happening on the ground there. And so it's it's um, it's a lot to to think that far into the future, but I ask that people kind of make the journey with us a right. little bit to the extent that that they can to to think through. You know, if it starts with a, a problem or a challenge that I'm experiencing today, how do I think long term about you know what my priorities might be or what I might want to contribute to this process for the future to maybe have a different set of circumstances mm-hmm. that I'm dealing with in the future as opposed to today, but with the understanding that it's a long-range vision-setting, 2050. Right. Well, you know. I've been here 20 years, and <laughs> I'm just seeing some projects come to fruition right. that may have been in a transportation plan when I first started. Mm-hmm. Um, and they do. They take a long time, and I I've thought about when you ask that about who to talk to, one thing that happens at every um, county commission or um, city council in any jurisdiction is usually time for public. There's time for public questions or public comment. And I don't know that I see a whole lot of people that take the opportunity to address the bodies. Um, and I, I do appreciate some of our council or commissioners in our area um, of Hamilton County have um, engaged in more frequent dialogue with their districts mm-hmm. and the neighborhoods. And we see it both in the county and in the city. And I applaud those efforts to speak more frequently right. with the community and talk about those things. Because if it is long term and it is you know, or there are certain things that might happen in a a particular area because of a change in um, development, or maybe it's just population growth. I mean, we've seen areas get, um, you know, uh, see a a kind of a one-time deal where there was a move-in because there were new homes or it it became a vibrant area for a reason, Mm -hmm. like just something happened there, right? And you just saw an influx of people. And when that happens, it changes things. But you won't know if we're not having these routine conversations with one another about um, what's happening there. So I think those have been really great opportunities for elected representation in the community to talk and um, and then bring that back to the body, right. um, the legislative body. And all that is a, a process. And seeing that or trying to see that as a public citizen work and be involved in that is really important. Mm-hmm. Um, it's just a civic duty to be involved. I agree. <laughs> I think that's a pretty good place to, to start wrapping things up. Uh, do you all want to talk about kind of what's the upcoming schedule and, and what people should be on the lookout for? Yes, absolutely. So um, August 25th, we have our first um public meeting it's really more of an open house where we're just going to have a lot of the content from the story maps on um, our website right now presented in an open house format and so august 25th will be the in-person opportunity for that here at the development resource center that evening we'll have um, melissa and i and some other staff working on the tpo here in person to just talk through what we're seeing so far and from our analysis you know to date and what we've heard from people to date um, about the plan However, we're also going to have a virtual open house for um, about that same week, that kind of last week in August window. Um, so if people can't come to the in-person open house on August 25th, there will be a, um, a, a longer, I think it's about five or six days where this, um, the same input opportunities and all the same information will be available in a virtual open house format. It's a really cool um, unique way that we haven't done before to present that information and it, it kind of feels on the website and um, that, that we're using for that like you're in a room and you're going around to different boards so both of those input opportunities um, 
coming up in August, at the end of August, and the surveys open um, through the end of August as well to get involved. And on the website, too, there's a schedule kind of at a glance for the whole plan. So it's scheduled for adoption in January 2024. It takes a long time, um, but it's really more front-loaded with public input. Most of 2023 is kind of back and forth with you know, state and federal partners reviewing right. what's pretty much the baked plan at that point. So this year, 2021, and next year, 2022, are most of the really robust public engagement opportunities. So check out that calendar on the website, and um, you'll be able to see, you know, when we're kind of planning to have different activities throughout the process. Great. Well, thank you very much for your time, and, you know, thanks for the hard work. Thank you. Thank, thank you, you for so having us. Thanks for listening. Yeah. I hope you've enjoyed this episode of Chattanooga Civics. Our music was written and recorded by Kevin McLeod. If you have any questions or feedback, please send me an email at chattanoogacivics at gmail.com. You can follow me on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at chatcivics, or visit the website chattanoogacivics.com. Thanks for listening. Proud member of the Podnuga Network.